Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. I'm your host, Scott Colnutt, and with me today is Dr. Christine Bailey, founder of Sophia Marketing and author of the book, Customer Insight Strategies, How to Understand Your Audience and Create Remarkable Marketing. And so we're going to be talking today about how to glean customer insights that drive remarkable marketing. Christine, do you want to take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners and explain more about what you do at Sophia Marketing and what mission you're on? Yeah, thank you, Scott. Uh, thanks for having me today. So I've been in the B2B marketing space, uh, serving the technology and fintech sectors for about 30 years now. I've worked for some of the biggest companies in the world, like Hewlett Packard and Cisco, and also for some smaller companies. And uh, just recently, I set up a company called Sophia Marketing, which is the ancient Greek word for practical wisdom, which seemed uh, very apt. So providing strategic marketing services, uh, mostly driven by insights um, for uh, tech and fintech uh, startups and scale-ups and working in partnership with um, Episode One Ventures, a venture capitalist fund. And uh, my first assignment is with um, uh, Passport, which is a you know SaaS solution provider, which is defining a whole new wave of reg tech to fight financial crime. Apart from that, I've um, done a couple of TED Talks and uh, I have a, a doctorate in customer insight and I live in Shepparton in Surrey. Lovely. And I'm curious, before we go into some of the detail today about how to glean customer insights, you talked about your vast experience there, but I'm interested to know where that fascination comes from. Did you say 2008, you secured your doctorate? Yes. And and actually, that's where the original intention came to write the book. Uh, my mm. supervisor, Professor Moira Clark, she suggested doing the doctorate back in 2004. And that's <laughs> when my passion for customer insight was really sparked. And writing a book was always on the bucket list. And I, I intended to write one when I published my doctorate in 2008, but uh, life had other plans. Uh, but 12 years later, and, you know, I like to think that this is a much better book, you know, not least because customer insight is much more mainstream now. And I interviewed 33 marketing practitioners and academics from around the world who are all experts in their field. So they generously shared their opinions and, and their case studies for the book. Hmm. And this is really interesting, and we'll go into the book. But 
I was thinking just then between even 2004 and now 2021, I'm interested to know, do you think that the principles of gleaning customer insight are the same? And I say that in context of the fact, and we'll go into it today, that there's so many more data sources available now, less than 20 years on. Yes. And when I published the doctorate, I said that organizations were collecting data across five main areas those being competitors, customers, markets, employees, and channel partners. When I came to write the book, I found that actually those categories that that were still the same, but there Mm. were a few crucial differences. And the first one is that so much of the buying journey is now happening online. So two-thirds of people are going through that journey before they're speaking to the salesperson, and they're doing that online. So consequently, Mm. we've got enormous volumes of digital footprint data. And of course, that's just massively increased in the last year because of of COVID and the world um, accelerating its digital transformation. So that's the first difference. The second difference is that with 400 million people speaking to Siri and 500 million speaking to Google Assistant, we know that the world of typing and reading is transitioning to speaking and listening. And the third big difference is that artificial intelligence and machine learning is being used more and more in marketing. I can't wait to see what the next 20 years hold. Maybe there's a second revision somewhere in your somewhere in your future there um, for that for that book. Um, I, I really want to start out with defining insights. And the reason I say that, it might seem a very elementary place to start, and there might be some elementary questions here. But I think here of I think here of the marketer out there who's maybe working in an agency and gets the message from their client to say, hey, we're not getting enough website insights. We're not getting enough marketing insights from you. Can you deliver more insight about our website? Or maybe yeah, the in-house marketer that's getting that same question from maybe their senior figures in their company. And so I just thought maybe we could start out to maybe define what is a customer insight and what makes an insight insightful. Mm, good question. So as I said, you've got five different data sources and your customer insight will result from analysis, interpretation of that market, competitor and customer data, you know, behavior and feedback. Mm. And the aim is to equip yourself with nuggets of information that help you to serve your customers better. So these nuggets will give you a deep understanding of your customers' beliefs, their needs, their relationship with your brand, as well as the motivations underlying their, their buying behavior. So really, it's about deeply understanding your audience from their perspective, um, not from your perspective. And the you talk about an, you know, an actionable insight or an insightful insight. Well, mm. it's got to result in, you know, like direct, clear, meaningful actions which you can take to grow and to improve. Now, we know from, I love this stat from Domo that says 83% of marketers are data blind due to the sheer volume of data and analytics they're faced with every day. So for an insight to be actionable, they should tell you something new rather than confirming your existing knowledge. So a really true insight is a finding that will contradict your knowledge, confirm or deny your suspicion, or quantify its importance. So an actionable insight will either lead to an adaptation or action within the organization or confirm the fact that actually no action is required. 
So for that marketer out there, the marketers that I've just described, what would your advice be to them if they got that kind of message from their peers or their colleagues or their seniors in a company? Would it be to, it sounds like your advice might be to then remind yourself that your goal isn't necessary to please the other people in your company. It's to test your hypothesis of a situation and remind yourself of the end user's goal. Is that correct? Yes. Absolutely. It should always be related to a question. Mm. You know, I, that's the that's the worst scenario when somebody says, we need some insights. You know, what for? <laughs> you know, what question? You, yeah. What are you trying to find out? You know, what question are you trying to answer? And mm. and what's for what purpose is that insight? Because as you see from the book, you can use insights right throughout the marketing journey. So it's also, you know, you've got to be really clear about what your objectives are and what you're intending to do with those insights. And that leads nicely, actually, into this area of how to then surface these actionable, these meaningful insights. I think you noted as you were talking there, you, I don't know whether it's you've identified as part of your framework or through your research, but there are four main types of insight. Uh, I've got them noted as market predictions, customer segments, propensity models, and customer analytics. So maybe thinking of those sources of of data or sources of insight, where do you start with that? Are there any sources of data that are more important than others? And maybe could you just break down uh, some brief descriptions of what those things are? Yeah. So that often people struggle with, well, what is an insight? How do I get an Mm. insight out of my data? So as I said, there are five different data sources that are going to input into generating those insights. And those are four categories that I identified in in my doctorate. Mm. And the first one's about market prediction. So people have always used data to identify market sizes and opportunities. And that's, you know, traditionally been the domain of of market research. But now, of course, what we've got is a richness of actual customer data. And that can help Mm. you make predictions, not just about the total market size and the current market share, but also about the sales potential and the trends and issues likely to you know, affect people's ability to achieve this potential. It can drive strategic decisions about what markets to operate in and what products to develop rather than designing great products and then deciding, you know, whom you're going to sell them to. But actually, I think we'll chat later, a a little bit later about category design and how Mm -hmm. you come to discover a category. And it will come from either way, either a a market insight or or a technology insight. So we'll, we'll chat a little bit more about that later. So market predictions, in summary, from what I've just heard from you, is the ability to look broader across an industry or sector and glean insight about the general directional trends. So as opposed to being customer level, it's industry or sector level. Yes. And you can layer in your own customer data to help you mm. make predictions about you know, the likelihood of your, you know, your ability to, to uh, capture that market opportunity. And you talked about customer segments, which I think probably our listeners, and I know I am more familiar with that terminology, but can you maybe describe the most common or how to break down customer segments that are valuable? And I think I say that because it's actually easy, particularly in products or tools like Google Analytics, to segment your customers via demographic or device. But what are the most useful segments, in your opinion, to try and break out and look for? Yeah. So you're right. Your segmentation strategy will depend on the type of business you're in and, and your consumer mm. base. So in if you're in uh, B2C, you've probably segmented via demographics like affluence and life stage, mm. 
attitudes, buyer behavior, geography, customer need. Whereas if you're in B2B, people are more likely to segment according to value, size of company, type of company, vertical sector, type of relationship. But I think regardless of whether it's B2B or B2C, segmentation has evolved dramatically. And the days of spray and pray marketing really are gone. So you can now use digital footprint data, psychological profiling, customer journeys, intent data. You know, it's now possible to get really deep insight into your customer's behavior, their wants and their needs. And, you know, this is vital in order to arrange them into distinct segments. And then you can target them with personalized messaging, digital advertising and content. And of course, there's a massive buzz these days around account-based marketing. And account-based marketing used to be something for you know, very much one-to-one, and it would be used to target big enterprise accounts. But now there's three different flavors of ABM. You've got one-to-one, one-to-few, and one-to-many. And there really is an ABM for any budget. So if you're in B2B, you're likely now to be using ABM, an ABM strategy for your segments. Interesting. And the one that I'm less familiar with is propensity models. And this is the one that I'm really interested to learn myself a little bit more about. So in the category of this propensity model area, could you maybe describe what that is and some examples of how that works practically? Yeah, so propensity models can be used to predict the behavior of your customer base. So it could mm-hmm. be the likelihood that customers are going to respond to an offer, likelihood to make a purchase, likelihood to churn. And they can use to be to build profiles of typical customers or to identify or target other potential customers with with similar profiles. And you can either use them on their own or in conjunction with others. So, for example, a a mobile phone company can predict which customers are going to churn, uh, but they could also predict which ones are likely to take an upgrade or they could combine them and say they're likely to churn, but offering them an upgrade is not going to stop them from churning. Um, they can also be used to predict something called um, next best action. So mm. that would determine based on everything we know about that customer and internal data, external data, what's their likely, you know, what's the next best thing to offer that customer? You know, is it a cross sell or an upsell or a, a retention offer? And rather than thinking, well, I want to execute this campaign, who should I send this campaign to? It's, it, it's thinking of the customer first. So based on that customer, what is the best thing, next best action to take with that customer? You can also use propensity modeling when you're creating your ideal customer profile. And you can take your existing customer analytics and say, okay, this is the profile of the customers that we have at the moment. And you can work with companies who will go and find you more more customers like that or more prospects like that. So lots of different ways. Some companies are incredibly sophisticated. They could have, you know, 50, 100 propensity models running in parallel. Yeah, a lot of that makes sense. And I know customer analytics is a category that we get to in a moment. So as I'm as you're talking through propensity models, in my mind, I'm framing that as really the customer behavior level and your predictions about next best actions. So I guess what I'm trying to understand here, and maybe you can describe this as part of customer analytics, how do propensity models and customer analytics differ? So customer analytics are more about a a deep understanding of your existing customers rather than how they are likely to behave. So the propensity is more about 
so specifically how they're going to behave in a certain environment. Um, right. But the, the analytics is really just everything that you should know, you know, you want to know about your existing customers, what, what, what products they hold, how long they've been with you, where they are in their customer life cycle. It's more that sort of deep analysis of, of what you've already got, uh, you know, things like customer lifetime value, you know, who are your best customers? Because every customer is definitely not created equal. So making sure that you're, you understand who your high value customers are, for example. And as you've talked through those categories, I'm coming back to the original questions that I had was where do you start? And I'm thinking, well, actually, if there's a marketer out there that's getting those kind of questions from their client, from their board, from their senior figures in the company, a good place to start is actually framing or asking questions based on your audience within these categories. It feels to me like that would be a natural and good framework to start with. So someone comes to me and said, well, I need to draw insights about my website. And then I can break it down into those categories to help narrow the potential area that's going to be important for me to focus on. Is that something that you recommend? Is that a good place to start? Yes. As I said, it, it de- the tools will differ depending on what it is you want to do. Mm. So if you're kind of starting at the beginning of your marketing journey and you're trying to establish what your your mission statement is or, or your your value proposition and what matters most to customers, you would use a certain type of insights. Customer analytics would typically be most used when you're cross-selling and upselling. Propensity models will most likely be used when in customer acquisition. So it depends what you're trying to do. You, you know, what about your brand strategy? Different types of analytics for that. So Yes, it really depends which stage of your marketing journey you need those insights. And I'm really curious to know, both from personal experience, but just through all of your research, what's the antithesis of gleaning customer insights? So what are all of the things that get in the way and prevent insight from being gleaned? Well, I was thinking about this and I I kind of got a serious and a more fun response to this. So I'll tell you what, I'll I'll give you the more (laughs) serious one to start with. And London Research and Adobe did some research into the barriers for using better digital analytics and customer intelligence. And I have to say, you know, no surprises, really. The top one was the culture of the organization. So you've got to be in an organization that has a data-driven culture and encourages employees to continually dig deeper to achieve, you know, a complete understanding of what makes their customers tick. So if they're not prepared to let employees ask a lot of questions, dig deeper, get experiment, get it wrong, invest that time in that deep understanding, then that's the biggest barrier to using insights. Because if you think as marketers, we're really busy and we mm. tend to, the, you know, the, the pressure from sales, the, the, the quarterly cycles, often the focus is on doing those very urgent but not necessarily important tasks. So you've got to mm-hmm. have a culture of an organization that is open to people interpreting data and sometimes slowing down a bit to, in order to speed up. So that, that was the top one. Um, the second one was the lack of skills. And I think that's a shame because, you know, the democratization of technology and data means that these tools now are available to everyone and they're very easy to use. So whereas it used to be something that only the data scientists could do, now really the tools are, are that easy to use that everyone in marketing should be using some kind of insights. And I like to think that that frees people up to, to be more creative, but everybody really should, should be using those, um, using analytical skills. But I know it's something that, you know, people think, well, I'm, 
you know, the left brain, right brain, my, I'm more on the creative side. But as I said, the tools are getting a lot easier uh, for, for anybody mm. to use. The next one is the the lack of investment in data capabilities. So I guess that kind of goes hand in hand, doesn't it, with the lack of skills. And if, you, if you're familiar with Scott Brinker's MarTech uh, landscape, uh, he has about 8,000 different MarTech technologies now. And the fastest growing category in the last year was the data one. So about 25% growth in the amount of data technologies. So it, it, it's the one that's on, you know, on the biggest rise. Mm. Yeah, as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking... A lot of these things relate to leadership and it really comes back to that first point, culture. Yeah. So to upskill, to enable your employees to focus on the skills that are necessary, you have to have the right leadership culture. Um, likewise, you have to invest in those data capabilities. I think the other thing that comes to mind, it's really why we're recording this episode. It's knowing where to start because I think people have a tendency, you just mentioned 8,000 software solutions with, I think, data um software being the fastest growing category and that's just overwhelming i think you use that phrase yourself it's, it's just an overwhelming amount of data available to us and so there is a tendency in fast-paced environments to think okay i need to solve this problem what software is necessary and yes. i know what i find a lot in our agency i'm curious to know whether this is true from what you've seen in your research and your experience but actually it helps a lot more to have frameworks in place for yourself. So non-software based frameworks just to ask the right questions first and then use that to dictate the software that you might need. Yes, absolutely. You, you need to work out what it is you, you need to get insights on before you even mm. think about technology. I mean, if I sort of carry on sort of yeah, down yeah, the list, the, um, a- another one was organizational structure and data silos and, we know that the 360 degree of the customer has been the holy grail, you know, for many marketers, but it's incredibly difficult to do because customer data sits in so many places, you know, across sales, marketing, customer service. And more often than not, the marketing team only has sight of, uh, of the customer data relating to their marketing efforts. So that, that's another challenge, getting that um, complete view of the customer. And with that, so many companies don't have their technology d- joined up and you you know you kind of throw in gdpr and you know the overload of data it just it sometimes that actually links to the next one too much data we just don't know where mm-hmm. to start so you know sometimes it is quite overwhelming just with the with the sheer volume of data and i think at that point it's i'll give you my less serious ones which is <laughs> you know you can find a stat for anything and you know there's some great there's some lovely fun graphics I usually use when I'm presenting saying, you know, you, people will be convinced by data points, even if you've just made them up. Um, so you, you can find a data point for everything. The, the most important thing is thinking about, you know, what question do you, do you need the answer to that's really going to give mm-hmm. you, you know, that insight. And it's really about understanding how people are behaving, not what they say they're doing. And, you know, it's, do as I say, don't do as I do. People might say one thing and do something completely different. So that's the insight that you're looking for is how are people actually behaving, you know, particularly online. And there's all sorts of fun things where, you know, people are looking at a website and where their eyes are reading is often quite different to where their mouse is clicking. You know, right. and you can use, uh, you know, various biometrics to, to ascertain that if it's important. But also, you shouldn't just blindly listen to your data 
And again, I've got a lovely picture of somebody driving off a cliff because they're listening to the the sat nav or the GPS, which I <laughs> confess to. How often have you done that? Come on, be honest now. So the sat nav to- tells you you should go one way, and you're thinking, I really think it's it's the other way. But you follow the sat nav, and and you end up, you know, in a dead end or, or or driving off the cliff. So if it doesn't feel right, ask more questions. That's not to say that, you know, it, it could be right. You've come up with this brilliant insight that is totally counterintuitive to what you were expecting. But don't just blindly follow it. Always ask more questions. And then another fun one is, uh, is a game I like to play is tricking Google into thinking you're somebody different. So mm. uh, before I was presenting once, I, I went into Google and I said, um, what can I wear to go on a stag weekend? you know, because my name's Chris, I could be male or female. Mm. And then I said, um, you know, money's a bit tight and we've been in lockdown for a while. I need a cheap facelift. And third one is I'm dreaming of going on holiday again. You know, can I get a fun bum bag for holiday? And I put those searches into Google and then I went into Facebook and they served me up the most hilarious ads <laughs> for like gold llama hot pants for my stag weekend and this thing that you kind of wrapped around your chin to give you a cheap facelift. And, you know, so often, you know, the algorithms, you know, say you've just bought a present for somebody else who is absolutely nothing like you and suddenly you get all these alternatives of things you might like because of this other thing that you bought. Or another one is where you've been having a conversation about something and suddenly all these ads appear in your Facebook feed. So, yeah, it can go wrong if the the, the person or the technology that's listening doesn't realize that you're gaming it or or that it's not you. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. If you want to understand how marketing is changing, and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. 
Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And I was smiling throughout there because they're funny, funny examples. But the, I think the thing that I started smiling at, it obviously hits a nerve with me and, and provokes some thought. And I say this often at site visibility, and I think I've probably covered it on the podcast before, but it's this, I've become a bit more skeptical over time. So I'm not a full-time analyst, but I have experience in data analysis and in this area. And this point that you said about, you can find a stat for anything if you want to prove a point is so prominent in my mind that it actually makes me skeptical of lots of reports that I read mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm looking at these reports and often in my back of my mind, I'm thinking, what message are these people trying to sell me? What's the message here that someone's trying to put across? What bias is in this report? Oh, and- I know. My, my favorite thing <laughs> is when they go, 40% of people think X. And I'm like, yeah, but 60% didn't think that. <laughs> Yeah, to be honest, it's a very, it's, uh, yeah, I find myself with conflicting thoughts a lot when I'm reading reports. And yeah, like I said, in, in a way, in quite a skeptical mindset, which is interesting. It's fun at times. I think it's sometimes it's healthy. Um, it can be quite overwhelming at the times when you have those kind of conflicting thoughts. But the, I guess the most important thing, as you were talking through, I was thinking is that for any analysts out there, knowing your own bias is, and having that level of self-awareness is really important when you're trying to glean customer insights because it's very easy to convince yourself that you found an insight because you were looking for it. Yeah, I think I keep coming back to what question is is it that you're looking mm. to answer? You know, what are you testing a hypothesis or you're trying to answer a question? It shouldn't just be mm. a stat for the sake of a stat. It should be an interesting finding or insight on on a particular topic or question that you're trying to ask. And a nice segue into you touched as you were talking, uh, you touched on that example of uh, maybe your smart speaker hearing what you've been talking about and then suddenly you're served up ads and so forth. And even at the beginning, you were talking about the growth of voice search and people responding. Mm. I've got some notes in front of me, 400 million people speaking to Siri, 500 million people speaking to Google Assistant. And I love this just phrase, the world of typing and reading is transitioning to speaking and listening. And I think of that over a long period of time. And I just think there's this whole medium of data and potential insight that I know I'm not fully accessing at the moment, but I know as a consumer, I am uh, interacting and my behavior is changing and has changed dramatically over this last decade. And so my question to you, whether this is from personal experience or just what you're seeing through your own research, is are you seeing companies able to capture and use that data for meaningful insights? And do you have any examples of that? Yeah. And actually, those stats were before lockdown. So I bet those stats are even higher now. Yeah. Yeah, So in the book, actually, one of my uh, case studies is from Cisco, and they were using technology to uh, record calls from from their call centers and adding that into their uh, data platform for their next best action program. So they've been doing it for a while. But more recently, uh, working at Passport, they're using um, a technology called uh, Gong, which is an interface between Salesforce and Zoom to record customer Mm. meetings. Um, so that, that that data can be collected. And I'm sure there are many more technologies and examples, but those are just two where, yeah, de- companies are definitely starting to add in that, that voice data into their their overall customer data. As the technology evolves and we get more access to that data, 
my assumption here is that we, we're actually going to get a whole new world of insight about how you talked. I can't remember how you described it, but you talked about the user journey and how that's become so complex over time. But we should be able to reveal some greater insights about that messy middle of user behavior as we get access to more of that data. Yeah, I mean, another great example is with search. The way that people mm. are searching is totally changing. If you're doing a search where you're asking a question, it's more likely to be a long tail search rather than just an individual word. So that has a big impact on, on SEO. If you're only looking at the search terms that people are typing into, uh, into a browser, you need to also think about the more long tail search terms. And actually, you might be better off creating your content around those long tail search terms rather than individual words. Actually, this leads nicely on to an area that I was curious about from your research and how you work on a day-to-day basis. We've talked about how it can be overwhelming for there to be so many data sources available. The flip side of that is also also really exciting to have loads of lots of potential data and sources of insight for customer and user behavior. But I imagine that's incredibly hard to keep on top of what's emerging, what's new, what are the new data sources, what can be useful for us. So how do you do that? How do you stay on top of emerging trends? And what are some habits? I know this is a really important area and something that you believe in is the ability to make this analysis a habit. So how do you do that? Well, I'm naturally curious. Um, and <laughs> I'm, I'm also, I say a bookworm, but uh, a consumer of, of, of uh, content. So every, every morning, that's part of my daily habit to get a cup of tea and sit in bed and, and catch up with, uh, you know, what's going on on LinkedIn and on Twitter, mostly, and, and, and in my news feeds. So I, I, I do read a lot. I also network a lot. Um, so I, I follow people. I read a lot of their material. I talk to people. Another big one for marketers is talking to customers. And it's actually quite mm-hmm. shocking how few people regularly talk to customers. And mm-hmm. usually I'm, I'm saying to my teams, make it a goal to speak to a customer once a month. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't believe how hard that is. And you ask most marketers, how often are you speaking to a customer? And I can tell you it's not very often. So that's really important is to find opportunities, shadow a salesperson, interview them for a case study, look at NPS scores, but just stay close to customers. And I guess the last one is just keep asking questions. Yeah, on that last point, you'd mentioned it earlier about asking questions and giving analysts the ability to ask questions and knowing the right questions to ask. And it reminds me of the topic of critical thinking. Mm. And yeah, I'm just curious to know because I'm I'm studying critical thinking more and I believe critical thinking st- skills, move, particularly in this world of data analysis, are so important for that role. And I'm just wondering if you're in your research, if you've come across critical thinking as a skill that's in demand and one that lends itself naturally to great analysts. This sort of superficial answer to that is yes, it's not something mm. I, I, I covered in the book. I think the being curious and constantly, I sort of described it slightly differently in the book. I talk about slowing down to speed up and, you know, the um, Daniel Kahneman book about thinking fast and slow, it's just really carving out that time to deeply think about what you're doing and not just rushing ahead. And I do see a tendency, you know, particularly with with startups is they, they rush to the technology stack. 
they rush to we've got to generate leads so they they've got this i, I use the analogy of um they buy this beautiful ferrari but it hasn't got a steering wheel and what's the point of you know having a ferrari that you're only driving at 30 miles an hour or however 10 miles an hour because you haven't got a steering wheel so it, it really is important to put the, the thinking in up front because nobody can afford to waste their marketing budget this leads nicely onto this remarkable marketing area and i think everything we've talked about it should be pretty obvious about how that lends itself to insightful useful and remarkable marketing but we will break that down a bit further but i actually want to start on that last point which was about pace and maybe patience so i remember reading that you were talking about how marketers are overwhelmed with quarterly targets and in fast-paced marketing environments there's not this ability to reflect and on data and know what your longer term goals are and look at data over a long period of time. And so I wanted to know, again, whether through research or personal experience, do you think that it, for marketers out there, they can do better work if they have longer term targets as opposed to this fast paced quarterly target environment? Absolutely. And I think mm. it's, it's really important to think of your long term objectives, because if not, you can get very stuck into quarterly metrics and we're all drowning in metrics aren't we and and we need our metrics they they're kind of the dials that that help us keep on track but you need to think of the long-term strategy you know what's your vision what's your north star what what objectives are you trying to do are you trying to establish a brand presence or are you are you trying to establish a, a clear point of view um, and, and there's a whole tranche of work within that, you know, category design, uh, thinking what segment you're in, your ideal customer profile, your messaging, your, your differentiation. Is that your strategy or do you already have a very clear point of view and you're actually taking that point of view into market and you're amplifying it through various brand building activities? Or mm. beyond that is the strategy, okay, now we need to generate leads. So what are we doing specifically to generate leads? Or is it really important that we increase our customer advocacy or we need to mm. increase employee engagement? So think of that high-level strategy. Think of that North Star, which must come from the company vision. You know, what's your – we'll kind of move on to this, but companies yeah. are very good at saying what they do and how they do it but they're not good at saying who they are and how is that different from everybody else or why they do it. You know, that, that sort of emotional connection to that mission or purpose that matters to customers, not just to the company. So as you said, I think it's kind of naturally transitioning into this area of why and the whole concept of starting with why. And I've got a note in front of me talking about how uh, from you just saying that founders and their values can contribute to the why and contribute to the who. But I'm also interested to know whether you think the why and the who can come from all of that previously discussed information about customer insight. So do you think businesses can reimagine themselves, revitalize what they do and their purpose through customer insight? Yeah, I mean, there are typically two ways in which you would discover a category. So you need to see a missing, to use the terminology from uh, Play Bigger, which is like the, the Bible on category design. And that would come from either a market insight or a technology insight. So a market insight would identify a new opportunity that could be met by building a new technology. So it could be 
it might be an existing problem. So to give an example of Uber, the problem already existed of you stood on a street corner in, in London in the pouring rain and you had no idea if there was a taxi in the vicinity or not. That problem existed. But Uber found a brilliant new way to solve that with new technology. So that's an example of a market insight. You, you could invent a brilliant new technology and then you need to go and find an application for it. So you could have invented blockchain or artificial intelligence or, or cloud computing and you, you invent the technology and then you go and find different applications for it. So it will come from an insight, but it will be either a market insight or a technology insight. But either way, it's really important that you can explain what problem you're trying to solve. So that could be a problem that people didn't realize they had or didn't realize they could solve in a different way, like the latter being the Uber example. You've touched on Uber and I want to learn a little bit more about category design and and the who and the why. Do you have any other favorite examples of the who and the why out in the wild that you love to refer to? Yeah, I mean, if I just go to sort of to the principles of defining Mm. your who, which I think is which category are you in? the most exciting companies create. They're not disruptors, they're creators. So they'll think of new ways of of living, new ways of thinking, new ways of doing business. And as I said, they'll solve problems we didn't know we had or problems that we didn't think could be solved in in a different way. So those are kind of the principles of of a category or or your who. And some Mm -hmm. examples of that are, we talked about Uber, but Airbnb, you know, on-demand places to stay, that was a new category. Or if we go way mm. back in, into history, Birdseye designed a new category of frozen foods. Mm. Nobody thought that was a thing until until they discovered that. And then if we sort of fast forward more recent examples, or, you know, Ikea, flat pack furniture, or, um, mm. you know, Netflix, streaming movies, or um, Skype, originally, internet phone calls. Or it could be an individual, Peter Drucker, management thinking. You know, so these are these are all great examples. I can go give you more examples, but these are all ones where they thought of either a problem that nobody had solved before, or or solving an existing problem but solved in a different way. Do you have any personal favourites that make you smile? I think Airbnb, or you know, I think Uber is just a great example of, of mm. the ability to think differently. And there will be many more, you know, Amazon, online retail on demand, AWS, Mm. cloud-based computing services, you know, there's Slack, a channel-based messaging platform, Tableau, you know, visual analytics. There's there's lots of of great examples of people who've really created, I mean, I guess you could, there's also the the kind of kings of category kings, you know, individuals who are extremely good at this, you know, Elon Musk, Jeff um, Bezos. Steve Jobs, mm. these are all geniuses at, uh, at category creation. Uh, you know, mm. huge admiration for those people who, and actually probably lesser known, uh, Rich Barton, who came up with Expedia, Glassdoor, Zillow. Right. You know, some people are just genius at this. I appreciate this might take a little bit of thinking, but I'm always interested in established businesses that have been around a while, and then they have to rebrand, adapt to modern marketing, and maybe find a new why. So maybe they had a why 100 years ago, but maybe they have to find their new why and that's led by customer insight to adapt to the future. Do any examples of businesses that have done that successfully come to mind for you? 
Mm. I think I had a, a couple in the book, actually. Um, one was Cisco and the other one was NTT. Mm. So Cisco set a vision of they've always be, been really good at having a North Star and you know that that emotional connection. So that's a great example of a why. Is um, originally it was a changing the way the world lives, works, plays, and learns. And you could say, well, the answer is the network. But it was as long as you are clear about the contribution that you're making to that aspirational vision, it's okay. But then they kind of felt that they were losing their way a bit with their marketing messages, and they went back to the original thinking of the logo, the bridge. So the logo is, you know, like um, a graphic of uh, San Francisco, a Golden Gate Bridge. And they thought, well, actually, that's what we did. We started out in the Stanford uh, campus where a husband and wife were trying to connect with each other in different buildings. And they came up with, you know, the logo of the bridge. So that became, they went back to that original thinking of the founders and why the company was formed. It was about building bridges. So now Mm -hmm. they've got a mission about, um, you know, the bridge to the possible. So that's a Cisco example. Another one is uh, with NTT data. So they recently rebranded and and brought about 30 different companies and brands underneath that NTT umbrella. And they went back and looked at the the Japanese origins of the company. They went back and looked at the original logo and what that logo meant. And they actually Mm -hmm. found that that was really, that original thinking of the founders was really crucial to how they were thinking today and that they kind of revitalized that original thinking as they brought the whole company together i love those examples and it leads nicely into an area that i want to talk to you about which is getting outside of your comfort zones and i think the context is to create remarkable marketing and to go you know all of those examples you just shared they don't come without deep thinking and getting outside of a comfort zone to do something new. And I'm just interested to know in this area of getting outside your comfort zone, how has that been true for you? So how do you know where your boundaries are and get out of those comfort zones to really put yourself out there to, uh, to even ask questions, actually going back to that topic, to even ask questions and keep challenging yourself and each other to develop those critical thinking skills it takes a lot of confidence to get outside your comfort zone to do that. So, yeah, maybe can you speak on that process and how that's worked for you? Yeah, I mean, that's probably a, a podcast in its own right on that topic. <laughs> uh, if I, So I'll, I'll try and do so succinctly. But <laughs> getting out of your comfort zone is a learned behavior. So that's the good news is mm. that the more often you get outside of your comfort zone, the less it will feel you know, like an uncomfortable place to be. And I mm. give the example of, you know, I've been made redundant four times in my career. The last time, you know, each time just gets easier because I'm like, yep, done this before. Um, <laughs> you know, turned out really well. Uh, gave me opportunities to maybe take a new direction or do something that I hadn't, you know, wasn't brave enough to do to, to step outside of my comfort zone. So that's become a learned behavior. I, you know, absolutely mm. in, embrace it. And I mean, all of these are kind of, I've got a few sort of things that are favorites of mine. My, the first one is mm. dare to begin before you're ready. And that's a, a, a takeaway from Richard Tyler, who wrote this brilliant book called Jolt. And he says, we're always waiting for something to happen, aren't we? We're waiting for the next uh, daily coronavirus briefing. We're waiting to see what we can do next. We're waiting for a bit more data. We're waiting to for the next budget cycle. We're always waiting for something. And sometimes we just need to get going before we think we're ready 
and experiment. And, you know, as marketers particularly, we shouldn't be afraid to experiment. You know, as Thomas Edison, Edison said, I've, I haven't failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that didn't work. You know, so that's, that's mm -hmm. my first one is just dare to begin before, before you think you're ready and you've got all the facts. Another one is challenge your limiting beliefs. You know, is that really fact or is that just a limiting belief that you think you can't do something or you think mm -hmm. you need X, Y, Z in order to do something? So constantly challenge your belief. Is that really a fact or is that just a limiting belief? And another one is change your perspective. So don't think, you know, who's, it's not about asking permission. It's begging forgiveness. Don't ask um, who's going to let me. Ask who's going to stop me. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> and I, I think actually a, a, an example of this I had at, at uh, my previous company, we were trying to work out there was something that we were doing that was really costing the company money. And I said, why are we doing this, doing it this way? And they said, well, that's, the ha that's how our systems are configured. And I said, there has to be a way to do that differently because that's costing us a lot of money. So please come back and tell me how we can overcome those system limitations. So they went off, they came back and said, no, we've asked everybody, it's just not possible. And I thought, okay, I need to take some of my own advice here and, and, and apply this. So I went back to the team and I said, okay, we need to change our perspective. There is a way. We just haven't thought of it yet, but there is a way. So go away and think about how it's possible, not why it can't be done. Mm. And do you know what? Within 24 hours, we had a solution. And it turned out that the main sticking block was actually somebody thinking that we had to do it that way because of audit requirements. And we were in financial services. So I went back to the CFO and said, this is causing us major problems. And it turned out that it actually wasn't that important. It wasn't a blocker on the audit requirements. So it wasn't actually mm. a systems issue. It was it was actually somebody thinking that this was an audit requirement. So we found a way and we changed the process, but that wouldn't have been possible if we hadn't changed our perspective. I really like what you, as you shared there, um, about learned behavior, because I guess it changes your mindset over time. When you next approach the next difficult thing that you face in your life or career, it must be easier to remind yourself as learned behavior and reminding yourself of that becomes a habit to approach things more positively and to persist a little bit more with the types of examples that you were just sharing. So to persist with your questions, to persist with your curiosity, that must become easier as you remind yourself that these things do become easier after the first time, after the first challenge, after the first question, it all becomes easier from there. Yeah. And I always encourage people to dream big and, and, and have a direction, but for a lot of people that can feel really overwhelming and I like to say that actually tiny changes have a massive impact. You know, if you think of two train tracks, if you put them literally one, you know, one millimeter apart, by 50 miles down the line, there will be a mile apart. Yes, dream big. Yes, have a direction, but take small steps and, and experiment and try incremental things, A-B test. Sometimes it's the small things that can make a massive difference. I think that's a key lesson to take away as, 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 as you're going through those examples, I'm thinking to myself about, I mean, this is good advice for anyone in any career, not just marketing. And it helps to get you to a place of confidence where you approach your next challenges 
um, we've talked about positively, but just more com- just more confidently and more comfortable in yourself. And I think those are great skills as well. If you have a level of reassurance and calm and patience as a marketer and as an analyst, going back to this section of the podcast, that enables you to create more remarkable marketing. And we're nearing the end of the podcast. And I think I know the answer to this question, having spoken to you for a while here now. But my final question to you is going to be, do you think that the modern marketer needs to equip themselves with data analysis skills to create remarkable marketing? So I think every marketer should aim to be more data competent and to ask more Mm. questions. You know, it's definitely not something that can just be left to the data scientist. I think it, you know, data now democratize, the technology is available. It permeates literally every aspect of the marketing role. But it's not something to be afraid of. There's some really good tools out there that are really simple. You know, they should free up our time so we can actually, you know, spend our time being being more creative. So that that's my message is absolutely you need to embrace data and insights, but it's not something to be afraid of. And it should just be it should assist you. I mean, it's in a way it's taking away the the mystery in, in a good way around marketing. So we are able to prove ROI a lot better. We are able to prove our value um, through through the insights that we, that we can produce. So that's my message is you must use insights throughout every area of your marketing, but it's not something to be afraid of. And yeah, for any marketer listening, I appreciate, particularly for people that are entering this area of analysis for the first time, it can be overwhelming. But skip back a few minutes in the podcast and go through all of those getting outside your comfort zone techniques and frameworks to help build your confidence to do that. And I think you would be in a much better place. Uh, Christine, that's been a fascinating episode. And I just want to close out by encouraging everyone, if you're interested in what we've discussed today, I'll link to any resources in the show notes. Go purchase Christine's book, Customer Insight Strategies, How to Understand Your Audience and Create Remarkable Marketing. We'll link to that in the show notes too. And before I let you go, Christine, do you want to let our listeners know where they can find out more about you and Sophia Marketing? Yeah, the best place to to find out more about me is to go to LinkedIn. So you can find me under Dr. Christine Bailey on, on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter at Christine Bailey. And I do have a website, but it's a new website, Sophia Marketing spelt P-H-S-O-P-H-I-A. But it's it more to come on the website so sophiamarketing.co.uk but the best places to find me are on linkedin and twitter brilliant christine thanks so much again for your time this has been the internet marketing podcast thank you If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. 
The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.